You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I'm going to level with you. My um, docket list of things to cover today is quite low. So depending on uh, my ability to ramble today, this may end up being a little shorty. I'm not sure if it's going to work against us or for us, but I am uh, so tired, I'm literally delirious. So um, I'm hoping that works in our favor. A day filled with um, insane illustrations that um, literally make no sense. But anyways, um, there's not a lot of other NFL stuff going on, so I've been hanging on to this one for quite a while. This was from June 22nd, by uh, written by Football Outsiders. They did a little... Um, did a little study, I guess, Brian Knowles. And I figure since, as Packer fans, we have endured a lot of heartache. The amount of times we've been to the playoffs and knocked out of the playoffs, it feels like we are uniquely... You can't really say uniquely awful, although some fans try to spin it that way, because awful teams don't get as far as the Packers do, but cursed, perhaps. So they went back and looked at teams that had endured um, the most heartbreak over the years. The article starts off, we are gathered here today to name a champion. Five franchises who went through a decade plus of success with nothing to show for it. For the right to be declared the greatest heartbreak dynasty of them all. And he actually put together a uh, scoring system called Total Heartbreak Points. But at number five, you got the 1973 to 1996 Denver Broncos. They had a record of 216 and 146. Their playoff record was 9 and 11. They had four Super Bowl losses, one AFCCG loss, whatever that is. Oh, AFC Championship game, got it. Three divisional losses, three wild card losses. This is number five. Now, look, I don't mean to minimize your pain, or my pain for that matter. It's very real. The fail Mary happened, as did countless, countless, countless. Devastating playoff losses, overtime losses to the Cardinals, complete implosions against teams as though we didn't even belong there. It's all true, but dude, four Super Bowl losses, a championship game loss, three divisional losses, and three wild card losses. Can you imagine? And that's from 1973 to 1996. Granted, they finally got their Super Bowl after that, immediately following 1996, but up to that point... That is a brutal stretch. At number four, they have the 1988 to 1999 Buffalo Bills. They had a a regular record of 124 and 68 and a playoff record of 11 and 10. 
They also had, obviously, a star cast, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid, etc., etc. But they also had four Super Bowl losses, one uh, AFC Championship game loss, two divisional losses, and three wild card losses. Ten playoff losses in an 11-year, uh, 12, I guess, year stretch. Twelve years ago, we won the Super Bowl. And we haven't lost one Super Bowl. At number three, they have the 2000 to 2014 Philadelphia Eagles. They had a record of 145 and 94, so a pretty solid record. Playoff record of 10 and 10. They had one Super Bowl loss, four NFC Championship game losses, two divisional losses, and three wild card losses. You got the Donovan McNabb, Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson. A lot of guys, some of the guys are still there, Jason Peters and whatnot. At number two, 1966 to 1980 LA Rams. They had a regular record of 149 and 60, so 700 was their record, quite good. But a 6 and 10 playoff record, one Super Bowl loss, four NFC Championship game losses, two Western Conference losses, two divisional losses, and one wild card loss. But finally, and the, the, the reason we are gathered here today, at number one, the 1968 to 1982 Minnesota Vikings. They had a overall record of 140, 71, and 2. Their playoff record was 10 and 12, with four Super Bowl losses, one NFC Championship game loss, one Western Conference loss, and six divisional losses. Now, I'll grant you that trying to throw this back in Vikings fans' faces when they, you know, start talking about us choking in the playoffs probably won't do much good because 90% of these people doing it are 13-year-old kids who, uh, you know, their parents weren't even born yet. But it still remains that it has been mathematically proven the biggest chokers in NFL history are the Minnesota Vikings. And the Packers didn't even make the top five. Anyways, moving off of that, um, Matt Schneidman over the, at The Athletic asked the question in an article, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon might be the best uh, backfield tandem. I guess that's not a question, that's a statement. But it says might, so we'll call it a question. And again, I, I think this is one of those things that I have a feeling that if you just put it out there to the NFL community, a lot of people would kind of scoff at it. I think people generally appreciate Aaron Jones, but not nearly enough. And I don't know that the NFL community has come around to how good A.J. Dillon is. I'm sure everybody that listens to this podcast is well aware of both of those facts, because I've laid it on pretty thick. But sometimes it's just about giving you information so that you can go out and argue with people. But before I get into um, PFF and whatnot, I want to kind of pick through the article a little bit and just pull out a few things that he pointed out. One of the first things I really liked was a quote by Ben Sermons, who's the uh, running backs coach for the Green Bay Packers. Um, it's it's one of those things that's relatively obvious, but only after you hear it, you know? It's just kind of a, oh yeah, that's a good point. He says, I think they feed off each other pretty well. It's kind of a luxury because you can keep them both fresh throughout the game, and then towards the end you can either throw AJ in there to pound and wear the defense down, or put Aaron in and all of a sudden the defense is worn down and it's an explosive play. Having a blend of both of these guys that will continue to grow throughout this upcoming season. I love that thought. Generally, you think of it as you want to close out a game with A.J. Dillon because the defense is going to be tired and they're going to have a hard time bringing that guy down. But you can kind of do it either way. And granted, it's not going to be one guy gets one half of a game, one guy gets the other half of the game. But just from a thought experiment standpoint, 
you can have it that way where you got a defense that's generally kind of worn down and they've been chasing Aaron Jones all day long and then they got to deal with a punishing AJ Dillon but you could also have it where AJ Dillon has been pounding away at this team all day long and they're pretty gassed about it and now you got to chase Aaron Jones all over the field and that's just not very likely to happen and again it it's gonna be both They've been chasing Aaron Jones all day and getting smashed in the mouth by A.J. Dillon. And then in the fourth quarter, you're going to have to try to drag down A.J. Dillon, which is going to be hard. And you're going to have to chase Aaron Jones. And then if they're both on the field at the same time, you know, you start getting these winded linebackers and everything cheating a little bit because they don't want to let Aaron Jones slip out past him. And then you get caught by an offensive lineman coming up to block you. And here comes A.J. Dillon like a freight train. Theoretically speaking, of course. The article goes on to point out uh, only two teams featured multiple running backs among the top 25 running backs in rushing yards last season. The Broncos, Melvin Gordon 11th with a 918 and Javante Williams 13th with 903. The Packers, Dillon 20th with 803 and Jones 21st with 799. Seven teams featured two running backs among the top 25 running backs in receiving yards, but only two placed multiple backs inside the top 20. The Jets with Ty Johnson and Michael Carter and the Packers with Jones 9th and Dillon 19th. According to True Media, the Packers are the only team with two players among the top 15 running backs in yards after contact per rush. Jones and Dillon tied for 13th in the NFL in that category, 3.18. So multiple different stats that correlate to being a, a good back put Jones and Dillon in the top, you know, whatever it happens to be, 25, 10, top two. But ultimately for me, it really just comes down to being a no-brainer from a PFF standpoint. I think the biggest competition, and if you ask anybody, they'll say probably the the best combination is going to be in Cleveland, would be my guess if you asked people. Maybe they would say Dallas with uh, Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, possibly New England, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at PFF grades, and I'm saying overall grades, not just rushing grades, but that includes receiving, blocking, all the fun stuff. I would say the second best tandem is the Cleveland Browns with Nick Chubb and Dearnest Johnson. They are both top 10 backs. They rank 7th and 8th. Both Green Bay Packers running backs are ranked higher than Nick Chubb and Dearnest Johnson. In fact, both Packers backs are ranked in the top 5. Aaron Jones was ranked 5th with an 82 overall grade. A.J. Dillon was ranked 3rd with an 86.2 overall grade. Only two running backs with a higher grade than A.J. Dillon were Damian Harris of New England and Jonathan Taylor of Indy. Indianapolis doesn't really have a super strong complementary back. I'm trying to scroll down and see if I can find the next Indy back, and I cannot find them. Um, New England, however, with Damian Harris, does have a pretty highly ranked running back in Ramondre Stevenson, but he's 10th. So would you rather have the 2nd and 10th or 3rd and 5th? It's, I mean, again, it's a no-brainer. So from a PFF standpoint, and I'm sure if you look at their social media, they'll say who are the top two backs, and they'll have A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones second or third or whatever, but based on their own grades, it's kind of right there for you. And I really think that's an underrated aspect of the Green Bay Packers. You know, I think most people would acknowledge, yeah, well, they have Aaron Jones, and he's probably one of their best receivers, but that's one of the weaknesses of this team is that, you know, Aaron, when Aaron Jones is one of your best players, that's a problem. No, well, fair enough, but people are phrasing it wrong. People are looking at it wrong. It's not as though 
the running backs are decent, and Aaron Jones, I mean, he's he's really good, but still, you know, eh. Having one of the top running backs in football is valuable. Having two top five backs in the NFL in your backfield is crazy valuable. And the fact that they're not just runners, but receivers. A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are great receivers out of the backfield, but they're also extremely good runners out of the backfield, and they're great complementary backs. Different styles of backs for different situations. There's basically no situation that these running backs can't be on the field and take care of business. That's unbelievably valuable. You know, it's fair to take whatever criticism comes our way, but we also shouldn't accept being shortchanged on stuff. We lost Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams was maybe the best wide receiver in football. That's a big hit. Alan Lazard and all these guys are not elite wide receivers. That's all very, very, very true. And, you know, non-Packer fans, NFL media, and Packer fans all are very comfortable with all of that information. But it kind of gets exhausting looking at all these lists, and that's all there is these days. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm missing out because that obviously is what people want because it's every single time I'm looking for news, I'm looking for articles, I'm looking for insights. It's who's the top five this, top ten this, ranking the top three, you know, uh, ranking this and that, and offenses, defenses, special teams, wide receivers, running backs, ranking, 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 ranking. Every single time you look at a ranking, the Packers are getting docked. Why? because of the wide receiver situation. And again, that's fair. But I don't think you're looking at everything else. It's not as though, well, the wide receiver is bad and everything else is not bad. No, the wide receiver situation is potentially a problem, but our quarterback situation is, oh, I don't know, back-to-back MVP level good. Our running back situation is not only one of the best in football, it is two of the best in football on the same team. It features David Bakhtiari, who is one of the best tackles in all of football, as well as several other very capable offensive linemen, and whenever Elton Jenkins comes back, you have maybe the best tackle duo in football. That's the thing, it's not just adequate. Best quarterback in football, best running back duo in football, best tackle duo in football, one of the best defensive lines potentially in football, arguably the best cornerback group in football. One of the best safeties in football in Adrian Amos. Maybe the best linebacker duo in football. All these other teams that get ranked ahead of us, and granted, they deserve a lot of credit. You look at what Buffalo did last year. It was one of the most dominant teams in football. But on paper, that team can't even sniff what the Packers have going on. We're not just talking about adequate. We're not just talking about the only real problem is the Packers wide receiver group. And that's that's pretty solid when your only issue is this one issue and everything else is okay. No, it's not okay. Best in all of football is not just okay. It is, holy crap, what are we going to do to stop this? Holy crap, what are we going to do to throw against them, to run against them? How are we going to protect our quarterback? And I know I'm kind of nitpicky when it's like the you know the Packers get ranked fifth and I'm crying about it. That, that that's but that's not the point. The point is again, if you want to come to that conclusion, that's fine. I, I I'm not even saying necessarily that you're wrong. Just so long as that you're looking at it properly. I don't think it's true that the best way to look at this situation is to say they only have one massive hole. That's half the story. Yes, that's that's unbelievable for a team to only have one potential hole on the roster. Although I would argue, I guess there's probably more than just one. You got tight end and offensive line as if we're talking potential. But the other side of the coin is not just, well, not an issue. Quarterback is not an issue. Running back is not an issue. Offensive line is probably not an issue. We're not talking about not an issue. I'm talking about dominant. 
So again, just just say it right, and we got no problems. But I mean, even amongst Packer fans, sometimes it's like, dude, we gotta puff out our chest a little bit here. Packers get treated like this second-tier team, you know? We lost Devontae. We're not good anymore. We used to be really good. Now hopefully we'll be okay. I don't know how you can accumulate this much talent. I mean, you got teams like the Vikings who have holes all over their roster and don't really have super elite anything other than Justin Jefferson. And they're even able to look at it and be like, you know, it's, it's possible. If we can get this and this going, anything's possible. And again, all the teams that are at the top, they've got holes all over the place. But it's not all woe is me. We didn't get a wide receiver. We're doomed. We're doomed if we can't get this. Da, 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 da. Oh, my goodness. It's okay to brag about your team. It's a really, really good team. It's one of the better rosters this team has ever had in terms of total depth. Yes, it's one of the rare instances where we don't have a very clear dominant receiver. I can't remember a time. But that also doesn't mean we won't have one. That's the other thing I'm trying to get across is we don't know that we don't have wide receivers. Again, I, I gave the Robert Brooks example, and there's many, many other examples. We don't have someone of Devontae Adams' caliber, that's true. That doesn't necessarily mean the, the receiving yards will go down. It doesn't. Whether it's because a guy like Sammy Watkins or Alan Lazard or Randall Cobb or, or somebody specifically steps up and, and sucks up, you know, 1,200 yards, or just because all those passes get distributed and you got, you know, multiple six, seven, eight hundred yard receivers, tight ends, etc. Running backs. We don't know. It's okay to get fired up. Anyways, I'm going to elaborate on that in just a minute. We might as well take a break right here. does appear to be a short episode today. I feel like I've been talking a half hour. It's been 17 minutes. But uh, if you appreciate the show, it would be great if you could jump in on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support what I'm doing here for as little as $1 per month. Otherwise, we will take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I wanted to, one of the fun things that I like to do is I've got this pile of resources, stuff that I pay for, patreon.com forward slash back underscore daddy. And I'm trying to think, how can I utilize these to answer questions? And they're never perfect, but they're, they're certain kinds of ways to answer a question. And so the question that I had is, what are some examples of stars leaving and how did that team respond after that person left? Did, did, did everything just completely fall apart? And so I, I went about it a couple different ways trying to um, find examples of these things. And I just kind of want to run through a couple of them just to give some kind of perspective. So um, the criteria that I used, and again, it might not be the best, but it's the only way that I could kind of get the point across that I'm trying to get a point, uh, across. And the metric of value I used is something called AV stands for approximate value. Devontae Adams' approximate value last season was 15, and now he's gone. So the question is, can I find people who had an AV of, let's, I don't know, 10 plus really good football players that left, and what was the result of that? So for example, at number six here, and by the way, there's only 13 people that I could find, but that this is, you got to understand, this first thing that I did was last year of their career. So Devontae Adams wouldn't fit this criteria because he's still playing. So this is people who were great and then left the league, whether it's injury. Sterling Sharp is number six on this list, by the way. We've already covered that. We've already gone over that. He left. The Packers won the Super Bowl, and the yardage, receiving yards did not go down. We've already covered that. But are there other examples? Well, somebody else on this list that probably um, would stand out in your mind is Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson's final year was in 2015. Um, he had amassed 1,214 yards and nine touchdowns in his final season. One of the greatest wide receivers of all time, absolute dynamo, and as usual, as you would expect, when a guy like Calvin Johnson leaves, you assume everything's going to fall apart, right? Who is their second best receiving option? Who You've got, I mean, they, they had Golden Tate, they had Theo Riddick, the running back, and, and granted, Golden Tate's a good football player, but 1,214 yards and nine touchdowns is hard to replicate. Golden Tate had 800. With Calvin Johnson on the team, in 2015, the Lions were 7-9, and nine, and they passed for 4,212 yards. The very next season, they were 9-7, and seven, and they passed for 4,111 yards. They lost Calvin Johnson and ended up winning two more games and threw for like 100 less yards. Negligible. Golden Tate cracked 1,000 yards with 1,077. They also had Marvin Jones for 930. Eric Ebron had 711. Anquan Bolden at 584. Theo Riddick, 371. It all added up to almost the exact same amount of, of, of passing yards. 
They went from 9th in yards to 11th in yards. That's it. That's what happens when one of the greatest wide receivers in NFL history left the, the Detroit Lions. Sticking with the Lions, another all-time great is uh, Barry Sanders, a running back. Um, he had an AV of 13, very close to Devontae Adams, in his final season um, in 1998 with the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions, though, were 5-11. and They were 5-11 and when Barry Sanders ran for 1,491 yards and four touchdowns. The team total was 1,955 rushing yards. Now, the next year, the, the rushing yards did go down pretty substantially. It dropped to 1,200 yards. However, the team got better and went 8-8 eight and eight that season and actually went to the playoffs. And then the very next year, they rushed for 1,747 yards, almost right back to where they were, again, with one of the all-time great running backs. James Stewart, a name that almost nobody will remember, I certainly don't, ran for almost 1,200 yards and had 10 touchdowns. Again, I just think we have this picture in our mind of when Devontae leaves, he takes all of it with him. He takes all those yards with him. And so if you've got a guy that has 1,500 receiving yards and Lazard, let's just say, has 600 yards, just making up numbers, the 1,500 disappears and you're left with Lazard at 600. How are we going to make up for the 1,500? That's not how it works. That's just not how it is. If you just add up all the yards that these guys get, this is how many yards we're going to get because that's it. So Lazard will have maybe 700 and um, Watkins will have like 300 and Randall Cobb will have, I don't know, maybe 400. Add it all up, boy, oh boy, it's going to be a rough season. We just don't have yards. That's not how it works. And then if we look at the top two, remember Devontae had a um, AV of 15. Tiki Barber in 2006 had an AV of 19. 2006, New York Giants, Tiki Barber ran for uh, 1,662 yards. 1,600 yards, and this is after having 1,800 yards, which was after having 1,500 yards. Tiki Barber, <laughs> for his last five years of his career, 1,387, 12, 16, 15, 18, 18, 60, 16, 62, and then he's gone. He's not playing anymore. Three years straight going to the Pro Bowl, 2005, uh, first-team All-Pro. Just one of the best players in the league at that time. What in the world do you do to replace a guy like that? And so, again, you look at it and you say, we've got one of the best players. He's a running back. Uh, we're 8-8. Eight and eight. Now he's gone. Well, obviously, we're going to drop to at least six games. Six and ten, here we come. 2006 ran for 2,156 yards. They ranked seventh in rushing. Top 10 rushing unit cracked a 2,000 yards rushing. Tiki's gone. No chance we're doing that again. Remember, 21-56. The next year, they didn't go 6-10. and 10. They went 10-6. and 6. They won two more games after losing Tiki Barber. And they went from 2,156 yards to 2,148 yards. Eight less rushing yards. And in fact, they went from 7th to 4th. They were the 4th best rushing unit in terms of yards. 4th in terms of yards per attempt. 7th in terms of rushing touchdowns. How is that possible? Did they have a guy that ran for 1,600 yards again? Did they find a new phenom? No. Brandon Jacobs ran for 1,000. Derek Ward, 600. Ruben Drawns ran for 275. Ahmad Bradshaw, 190. Eli Manning ran for 69. Jeremy Shockey had six. Sonoris Moss ran for four. It all just adds up. It got spread out. All of those carries and all of those yards got spread out across the backfield, but as a team, they lost eight yards after losing one of the best running backs in football. 
This is one of the biggest losses. Remember, in terms of AV, more valuable than Devontae Adams. And they lost eight yards. And they won two more games. Number one on this list is also a running back. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Jim Brown. Jim Brown had an AV of 21 in his final season. The year prior, it was an AV of 23. The year prior to that was an AV of 22. 1,544 yards, 17 touchdowns, 5.3 yards per attempt. Also added 328 uh, receiving yards and four more touchdowns on top of that. 1,872 yards and 21 touchdowns is what he brought to this team. How in the world do you replicate that? They were 11-3. They were the fifth-ranked offense. They played in the championship against the Packers. They lost, but they played. We have arguably the best player in the game. What are we going to do? Rushing yards went from 2,300 to 2,100. It went down, it's true, but this is what happens when you lose. Again, I'm trying to paint a picture of how unbelievably drastic this loss is. And we're talking 200 200 less yards, from 43 to 41. And they actually went from the fifth-ranked overall offense to the second-best offense in football, which is another picture that needs to be painted. Not only do we not know that the receiving is going to get worse on this team, but we don't know that the offense is going to get worse. And we certainly don't know that the team is going to get worse. There's so many ridiculous assumptions based on all this. So I'm not saying I know it's going to be great. This, this isn't me pointing to, look, everybody else is fine, so we'll be fine. Maybe it'll be a disaster, I don't know. But the point is everyone's just making assumptions that when you lose a star, everything falls apart. And so that's why we were so desperate, or everybody else has been so desperate, they have to find a star. You have to go out and get Julio. You have to do something. You have to trade everything away to go up and get one of these star receivers in the draft. No, not that one, a different one. Because if you can't replace him, then all those yards disappear and our offense falls apart and our team can't win. All I'm saying is that assumption doesn't hold up. That's not true. That's not how that works. It may go down. It might go down a little bit. might go down a lot of bit. I don't know. There are examples of, of sometimes, you know, even uh, the Detroit Lions. They did take a hit that first year. Not necessarily the team, but the, the rushing yards did. And then it bounced back the, the, the year right after that. But again, the team got better. So, you know, and I know in the offseason, it doesn't really do anybody any good to sit here and say, well, I don't know. That's kind of what we're trying to do is figure stuff out and, and make assumptions and try to think things through and say, I want, you know, I, I think this is going to happen or theorizing or pondering. So, yeah, if you want to say, I, I bet the passing isn't as good or the, you know, yards aren't quite as much, that's fine. But just don't get caught up in the assumption that because we lost one of the greatest of all time, one of the best Packers receivers for sure, if not the best, just up and walked away that everything is doomed. 